0: Welcome back for another episode of Revolution Recap Preseason Edition. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Greg Johnstone. Uh, We're coming to you after almost a month now. We haven't been on the air, so a lot of stuff has, has happened. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, but the biggest news, of course, is the Revolution signing, Carl's Gill, um, which is one of the biggest signings in Revolution history based alone on, on price. They paid a $2 million transfer fee reported by the Boston Globe and um, also reported by the Boston Globe. He will be making $2 million a year. Uh, so the highest paid player on the Revolution after Jermaine Jones in Revolution history. So quite the the move by the Revolution, a kind of a sign of intent that they're willing to spend that kind of money um, we've seen him in a few preseason games now, uh, Greg, what do you think of the signing? And are, are you surprised by how much money the, the Rose went out and spend on a guy that, um, you know, we've heard in the past that the Revs, when they're looking to sign somebody like this, are looking to sign somebody that's going to put, you know, butts in the seat. And I don't think Gill is a guy that's going to put butts in the seat. Um, he's a guy that makes the team better though.
1: Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I don't think that, uh, he's going to bring in a lot of people that are, um, a lot of casual fans who, uh, uh you know, maybe aren't really following the revolution now, uh, but we'll get into it when they get a big name. I feel like Jermaine Jones, you know, if you followed the the World Cup that year and you were kind of familiar with the USA team, you knew who Jermaine Jones was. Uh, I, I think Carlos Gill is, is not a guy that you – is going to bring in the casual sports fan in Boston and turn them on to soccer. But I will say I, I think he makes them a much better team. Um, is he worth the money? Maybe not. But I, I think the revolution need to spend to get the quality into the team. And I think this is a, a great move all the way around. Um, last time we we talked about this too, I think we weren't as high on Gil. I've kind of changed my tune on that. I think he's kind of come into preseason and he's really shown that he's gelling with the team. Uh, He's showing he can kind of play in the center and and kind of add an element that was missing last year and that Diego Fagundes couldn't really provide. So I think all in all, did they pay a little bit above market to get him to come to Gillette Stadium to play on turf, to play in the MLS? Probably, uh, but you can't deny that this is going to make them a better team
0: yeah and for contents he's making with the revs, if it is two million, um what he was reportedly making in the Premier League with Aston Villa um so you know you look at that and it, it, i heard i think I think what I read was that he perhaps went down to about half of that when he was over in spain, which which makes sense, but it you know it makes sense that the revolution would have to overpay. Um, perhaps overpay for for a guy like Gill to to come and play for for the team, um, but like you were saying, we, we've seen you know in limited minutes of preseason that it's combined really well with guys like Pania, and that's certainly a great sign for the Revolution going forward. I think we we talked a lot in the off season and you know at the end of the season that the Revolution really could use someone that can fill that number ten role, um, and it seems like what we've seen so far that that's you know the intent from Brad Friedel is to have Gill play that role, which you know makes sense if you're spending this kind of money on a guy, um, you probably want him to, at the, the focal point of your offense. And, you know, you, you talk about Gilly, he's a guy that's played for a lot of teams that have been you know, towards the bottom of their league with with Villa and uh, Deportivo La Coruña when they got relegated. Um, so, you know, he, the revolution right now are a team that needs to turn things around. And he's a guy that's kind of used to playing for teams in that position, um, obviously playing at a lower level at MLS now. You know, he could really have an impact on a team that's that's struggled last year. Um, so I'm you know excited to see what he can do for this team.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And. You know, I, I try not to read too much into preseason, too, and, and you know, I've seen highlights and clips of, of you know, what the Revolution are posting online. I, I don't think these games were being streamed, but even even if they were, I couldn't watch live. But, um, you know, he he's getting assists. I think he made an assist in his first game and a goal in his second game, if I remember correctly. I think he had a, another assist in the third game. So, uh, I mean, I know it's preseason. I know you can't really judge a whole lot on preseason minutes, uh, but... He's certainly an exciting player, and I think if you're a Revolution fan, you have to be happy with the addition. I, I think that you know every year we kind of look at what this team needs, and it seems like for the past two, three years, it's been a playmaker. And you know, I know Sean that we thought that Fagundes to play that ten role, and he was kind of growing into that role. But um, I, I think Gil is going to fill that role in 2019 better than Fagundes did in 2018. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't say enough about uh, how he's off to a good start and. Maybe my expectations are a little bit high and we're setting up for disappointment, but uh, I think overall, it's great signing.
0: Yeah, and Gills looked good, and he had that 25-yard goal, but I think the uh, the highlight of the preseason so far has been that goal that Diego Fagundes scored at the end of the uh, 3-1 win over Dynamo Kiev with the fantastic nutmeg and you know, side-footed shot into the into the far corner. Um, you know, he's had a decent preseason from what we've seen so far, too, um, and I wanted to bring up him because, again, we haven't been on the air in a while, and there was all that controversy you know earlier on in the preseason that, that he might leave the team. Um, I don't know if you are able to pull up that, that quote that he allegedly had in, in, in Uruguayan radio, but... But um, it's you know, been a interesting offseason for Fagundes. But it hasn't seemed to have impacted his play at all from from what we've seen uh, this preseason,
1: has it? No. And, and here's my – before we get into the timeline of events, because I know this news is a bit stale at this point. I think it happened – two or three weeks ago, so I think other people have commented on this. It's kind of played itself out, so at this point, you know, we might be beating a dead horse, but um, my my kind of theory is that the uh, Frank DeLapa in the Boston Globe reported that Diego Fagundes has one year left on his contract and the Revolution hold a player option on Diego Fagundes, and I think Diego Fagundes is more or less kind of sending a warning shot to the Revolution that, you know, he wants this to be his last season in New England, um, the quote here is what, what started this all was he went on radio, I guess, in Uruguay, uh, and said, and this is through translation. So maybe some of these words is, are not hundred percent accurate, but he said, we're going with my dad as much as I can to get my way out of here to get to national. It's not an easy situation. I want to play classics. Uh, so he, he kind of, it made it sound like his dad, who is also his agent, um And who also, it should be noted, kind of posted a crisp, cryptic message um, with the, at the season finale last year. Um, his dad kind of seems to want him to get out of uh, the New England Revolution and seem to have been working uh, with Nacional in uh, Uruguay uh, to to get Diego Fergundes to go play in South America. Um, now, after that happened, I know I think Sean Sweeney of Boston Sports Journal talked to Diego and Diego said, you know, I never said I wanted to leave. Um, so maybe something got lost in translation because it says right there that he did want to leave, but, um, Diego says he didn't want to leave. Uh, he likes playing for the revolution. Everything's fine. And it was also reported too that there was never an official offer for Diego. And then I think there was another report from uh, Julian Cardillo that, um, you know, they were offering a free loan uh, and they're, they were hoping to get Diego on loan for no fee or low, a low fee or, or something like that. There was basically not a realistic offer if there ever was one. Um, So after all this, though, Diego's dad comes out and says, you know, we've been here eight years. I think it's time for a change. So even after it kind of died down, he kind of stoked the fires again that, you know, maybe after the 2019 season, Diego needs to move. So um, I I think he's kind of sending a warning shot that they don't want another Lee Win situation where, um, you know, Lee kind of sat out, uh, Lee moved to the bench and, and it really didn't work out that well for the revolution where they lost a lot of market value for him. And I think Diego does not want, he is loyal to the team. He doesn't want to kind of put that in a situation where he has to sit out or they exercise a player option and he's not allowed to go where he wants to. So I think in a weird way behind the scenes um, and it's kind of playing out publicly, uh, Diego is kind of making it well known that he wants out of new England and and that's fine. He has been here a long time. It's a little disappointing, but um, I, I, that's how I've read it. I think a lot of people kind of read it differently that he is one. He does want to stay here. This was all much new about nothing, but, um, there's a lot of smoke and, uh, it makes me believe there's a lot of fire behind the Diego Fagunda situation.
0: No, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, as we've discussed before, at as his, his salary is, you know, quite a bargain for this team for what he's provided, you know, uh, consistently for this team offensively. And you, you mentioned national, a lot of what I've read when I you was know, trying to look into what was going on here is that they really don't have much money to offer, um, which you know, makes it a difficult situation if they want to sign a guy like Diego Fagundes because the revolution obviously came through their academy. They put a lot of time and money into him. Um, he's been a good player for this team, and you know they obviously think he has value, and he does have value. Um, so if you know Nationale is not going to meet anywhere near that value, of course they're not going to sell him, and they shouldn't sell him. Um, but you know, with that in mind, it's, it's interesting that the LA Galaxy actually just bought a player from from Nationale, so maybe they have a bit more money uh, this week than they did last month. Um, I don't expect that'll change anything, and I honestly don't even know if the the Uruguayan transfer window is is still even open. Uh, but it was just interesting uh, in the thick of this thing going on. The Galaxy went out and. You know, signed one of their best defenders, Diego Palenta, um, and I believe paid a transfer fee for him. So perhaps now Nacional has a bit more money that they could have thrown at Diego than they did uh, last month when this all went down. But you know, I, I'm completely with you. Where there's smoke, there's fire. I think in this case, there's been too much evidence from both his dad and you know, that that quote from Uruguay to suggest that you know he, there isn't some interest in him going elsewhere.
1: Yeah, and and you know, to add on to that, I, I think there was something about ownership. Uh, you know, kind of bankrupted the team in Uruguay and Nacional. So. There was never any kind of sense with this, and it makes you wonder why Diego's father went this route. Because obviously he was in contact with the team, and obviously he was trying to make Diego available, but it was never realistic. So um, I, I don't think there was ever a realistic shot for him to go play in Uruguay, but just to kind of ruffle some feathers and make some noise, I, I, I think that's kind of the thing behind it. Um, and the other thing, too, is that there's really no – There's no point of the revolution loaning out Diego Fagundes at this point in time. Let's say they exercise his player option. I mean, he wouldn't go play in Uruguay and then come sign a long-term extension here. So if you're the revolution, I mean, you're either playing him and you're you're fielding your best team and and writing out his contract, or you're selling him at, at a high point while he's still young um you know i i think it was frank Delapa had mentioned that there were multiple 2 million dollar offers for diego fugundes and the revolution will get 100% of that revenue uh, because diego fugundes is a homegrown player uh, mls rules say that if you're not a homegrown player i think a certain percentage goes to mls but uh, homegrown players 100% uh, go to the team so i mean that that'd be it would essentially cancel out the transfer fee for uh, carlos gill i mean that would be a big chunk of change for the revolution and there wouldn't be a whole point. I mean, you're really only risking Diego going and playing a weaker league. I, I don't think that really bump up his market value at all. So I, I, don't, I don't see why the revolution would ever do that. But, um, I mean, as I say, Diego's dad has – he talked to Julian Cardillo later that week and said that this is probably his last year. And then he replied to someone on Twitter and said that 2019 is Diego's last year. So um, I, I think if you're a Diego Fagundes fan, uh, enjoy – uh, enjoy him being in the lineup uh, while you can because I, I can't see a situation where he, even if they exercise the player option, I think it would be a Lee-Win situation where he kind of gave the revs warning and, and he doesn't want to play with them anymore. So
0: Yeah, and, and if you look at what happened this season too, Diego was the number 10 for the vast majority of the year. Um, Friedel you know, con- consistently was very, very positive about his play and, and what he was doing at the number 10 role. And then at the end of the year, <clears throat> come um, September, uh, he had that game against Portland where he was subbed at halftime. The next game, he came off the bench. The game after that, he you know played most of the match, but then after that again, he only played 45 minutes. Then after that, he played 45 minutes off the bench. Then he only played 21 minutes off the bench, and then he started the last three games. Um, but there was that period towards the end of the season where it seemed like Brad Friedel lost you know faith in him in that number 10 role. And then obviously signing Gil, it seems like the plan is to have Gil play that number 10 role um, and you know perhaps pu- push Fagunas out on the right. Uh, I'm still not sure if Fagunas is completely comfortable on the right because you know as he admits himself, he doesn't have much of a left foot um he's not that great his game really isn't getting to the end line and crossing the ball um so you know there are reasons why diego might not be completely happy right now and it's understandable you know but a team like Nacional, one of the best teams in uruguay comes calling um you know why the interest would be there
1: so it... well and not just that too because because you say him moving out to the right side not just that but you know a lot of people uh, on Twitter posts their projected lineup, and some people don't have Diego Fagundes starting with the Revolution, and and you know I I I, th- I think you agree with me, Sean, on this that Diego Fagundes should be the right winger if they're going to go with their four-two-three-one that they've gone in recent years, but. There is a bit of a cluster up in the attacking midfield and at striker um you re you re-signed Juan Agadello who played that right wing spot last year we we're not really sure what role he's going to fill this season um uh, you signed Justin Rennox, who is typically a forward but I, I think they're kind of playing him on the wings. We kind of saw him uh with some nice highlights uh in preseason I think he had a really really nice low cross that was a near assist uh for the revs in preseason um you got tyon Buchanan, who can also play on the wings you got dewan. DeJuan- jones who was another draft pick who i i, I don't think they've signed just yet i, no. I anticipate them to, but he's another guy that you could put on the wings uh you got isaac anking playing in the middle we don't know where he fits this season so you you have a lot of options in the attacking midfield and you know is i assume is going to be sl- slid over from the center to the right um but a lot of people are kind of questioning if he should hold that spot down, uh, or, or put him in a super sub role. And I think if you put him in a super sub role, I, I think that'd just kill his value. It'd be Kellen row part two, where you're, you're just going to diminish value. And then you're going to end up selling him in his last year of his contract for pennies on the dollar anyway. Um, but it, it, it's not, it's not out of the question to think of a starting lineup without Diego Fagundes. It's, it's really not. And, and if I'm Diego, why would I even risk that if I have aspirations to play in Europe and, um, and and nothing too, while I'm talking about Juan Agudelo is that five years ago, he was in a similar spot to Diego where he was looking at Europe, looking to make the move. He ended up staying in MLS and staying with the Revolution, and his career hasn't panned out the way he thought it was. So, I mean, if I'm Diego Fagundes, I'm looking at Juan Agadello and, and wondering if he regrets staying in MLS as long as he did.
0: Well, he did go to to Europe to Stoke and then couldn't play because he couldn't get a work permit before coming back here. But, yeah, I think he came back here before – um, and, and hasn't his career really hasn't panned out since he's come back? And it didn't really pan out in Europe either. So he's, he's also a bit of a warning to, to as far as going you, over Europe.
1: You you wonder. I mean, yeah, you're, you're correct in that. But I guess my overall point is just, you know, one, I don't know if Diego wants to spend his whole career playing at see I, I mean, it's pretty obvious he doesn't. But you got to think he's at a point where he's 23. He's probably at the peak of his value, and the Revolution are turning down two million dollar transfer offers from Europe. That must. If you have if you have aspirations to play in Europe or in South America that must bug you so in a way he has put eight years uh with the with the team I, I don't blame him for trying to kind of poke the bear and and try to as I say I, I think they're sending a warning shot that they don't want to be with the revolution, and they're trying to make this as painless as possible.
0: Well, and if you were trying, if you you know believe that the revolution were trying to sign both Gill and Bojan or both Gill and Impoku, and yep. I and I don't believe that, but if you do believe that, then that's almost certainly a, a you know one of those guys was taken for. He's on the, the bench. Spot. Yeah, and that, yeah, exactly. You know, if if, if, if Fagun is that certainly a, a sign of you know not much confidence um at that point so uh i you know i don't know if he sees that and you know buys into those rumors or you know perhaps knows more than we do um i'm still very much of the you know opinion or very much of the the, the thought process that you know they were trying to get gil and poco or bojan one of those three players and their kind of contingency plans in case you know you know knowing that it was unlikely that um you know multiple ones of those would actually come through uh but it is interesting to, to think of it that way and if you know you do think that they were going after multiple of those guys and. You, Fagundes is the obvious guy to, to get benched because you're not benching Panilla and you know none of those guys are going to be your lone striker. Um, so it's just you know another, another way to look at things. And and, and on that note too, uh, I thought it was very interesting that the the first game of the preseason Fagundes was playing up top in a in a four four two. We've actually seen a significant amount of four four two in this preseason and there was some talk of that before the preseason I didn't really buy into it, but now, now that I'm seeing it all the time, and I think part of that's probably forced by the you know, the personnel that they have available and that there's you know so many forwards and um, you know attacking players that they kinda need to do that to get everyone minutes. Um, but you know, do you are you starting to think now that based on what we're seeing, that there's a you know, realistic chance that Friedel switches to that full time this year?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do, and and I think the reason why is is you mentioned it, it's the personnel. Um, you went out and you signed Caicedo, uh, and you, you brought back Juan Agudelo, and I think Juan, Juan Agudelo on the right wing doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to put him on the right wing and, and sign him to a multi-year deal. Um, I, I think their intention is to put them both up top. Um, I'm I'm not sure if it's going to be a diamond or if it's going to be a kind of more of a standard four-four-two or maybe a four-two-two-two or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, my, my guess is that you have Pania on the left, Fagunda's on the right, uh, Caicedo number two and Juan Agudelo up top, and then Caicedo one and Gil somewhere in the middle. I guess a diamond is probably the most likely formation up there, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think two strikers makes the most sense is Caicedo is being touted as one of their big signings, and he is a TAM player, if I remember correctly. He's not a designated player. He's a TAM player. Um, and and I, I can't imagine Juan Aguadillo being on the bench because, uh, I mean, say what you will about his inconsistencies. Um, he found a way to play in... Uh, in Brad Friedel's system all year last year. And another person too that is being quickly forgotten about is Teal Bunbury. I mean, he (laughs) had a very good first half of last season. Um, He's not a scrub either. So uh, I think there's three strikers who you can make an argument are starters. And uh, you got to think they try to find a way to fit two of them into the lineup.
0: Yeah, and it, it helps that Agudelo scored a goal in preseason so far too. Um, but and, and we talked about before with Agudelo's salary that we're expecting it to be, you know, based on how MLS rules work, at least as high as it was last year. Um, you don't pay a guy that much money to not play, uh, so. It'll be very interesting to see how that works out. I'm still skeptical of, you know, a central midfield that, that's Gill and any of the revolutions. Um, center midfield, there's, right, or there's Casado, Caldwell, or Zahibo. I'm not sure any of them can cover that kind of ground. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out. Um, certainly the preseason lineups have, have me thinking that this is more likely than not that they are going to at least experiment with that this season.
1: Let me. Can I ask you a quick question about Juan Agudelo? And I probably should have asked this before the podcast because I, I don't know if you have an answer for this. Um, we talked about Juan Agudelo. I, I don't think it was ever announced that they made a bona fide offer on Juan Agadello so, In so theory, what it could was, you it take was it announced. That,
0: it, it was announced that they made a bona fide offer, or it wasn't okay. officially announced. But Jeff Lemieux tweeted it out. Um, I believe it was just before the expansion draft because it, you know, would make no sense to protect him if you weren't giving a bona fide oh, right, offer. That's right. Because otherwise, it would have been available for the um, the entry draft. Uh so, you know, in theory they could have made a bona fide offer like for a year and then said, Hey, hey, you know, don't take this. We're gonna give you, you know, a couple of years at less money or something. But I, I you know, to me, if you're Juan Aquadello, your best case scenario is to get as much money as possible next year, you know, play well and then go somewhere else when you you know, can after that season. Um so I have you know, I've I've heard some people theorize that you know somehow Mike Burns is some you know genius negotiator and got him to take less money um after offering him more money. Um, But I, I have trouble, you know, seeing how that played out. And maybe I'm wrong, and maybe they did something really impressive, and it makes a lot more sense that they resigned him because of that. Uh, but I, I assume he's making you know 600k plus next year.
1: I, the more I look at this, because at the time the signing made sense, but it, it, they signed Gil. They were rumored to be in the running for Boyan. I, I, I wonder, and then they signed Caicedo up top, who you got to assume is a, is a starter. Where does Juan Agudelo fit? And 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 it was a multi-year contract. So even if they got a pay cut from six hundred thousand to five hundred thousand, I'm just wondering where. Even even if it's two years, five hundred thousand, I'm wondering why re-sign Juan. And and I, I I don't mean to insult him as a bad player because I I think he has value on the team. But I mean he looks like a super sub to me at this point. Um, I, and as I say, they could do a four four two, but in the 4231, I mean they have the personnel to not play with him. I mean they they could have put Bunbury in there instead of signing Juan Agudelo for half a million dollars. It just it's it's kind of confusing to me to where they plan on putting him and how they're going to get half a million dollars worth of value out of Juan Agudelo.
0: Yeah, I mean I don't think he fits in this lineup unless they're playing two up top. And you know, if they do play two up top, maybe you know, pairs well with, with uh, Caicedo, maybe he pairs well with Bunbury. Um, and there's opportunities there. They actually started him in the uh, the last preseason game with Bunbury and you know didn't seem to combine too much in the first half from what I could tell, um, but then did get that goal on a nice header where he lost his marker. Um, but, no, I completely agree with you. If they, if they play the same formation they played last year, you know, Aguadelo seems like a super sub, and, and even then I'm not sure is your, your best sub option off the bench um, at, you know, right mid uh, maybe at striker so it's it's interesting to see what happens there but um you know we've talked about this before teal bunbury is a guy that uh, can can play on the right can play up top has you know seems to have more pace than than aguadela or at least did in the past uh maybe he's lost a step but you know he seems like the guy that would be more likely to be your super sub if you're you know
1: trying to to get a goal late doesn't he bunbury i yeah. mean uh Yeah. I mean, we both talked about this last year that we really like Bunbury off the bench and we thought he was kind of an explosive player that, you know, is kind of a good fresh legs player that kind of can come in that goal against Columbus last year where he kind of came in and made the immediate impact. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think he certainly has value off of the bench and I would love Teal Bunbury in that role. I think he'd thrive in it. Um, But I I think I'd take Juan Agadello over him because they essentially play the same positions. They play right wing and they play up top. And I I, I think I'd prefer Juan little over both of them. Although I, I, Juan Aguadelo did come in as a sub at certain points last year. It was pretty uninspiring, but I don't know. I, I mean, they're they're kind of redundant. I could go with either one of them, and that kind of makes the Aguadelo signing even more confusing because if, if you're signing him as a bench player, as a super sub, why sign him as a super sub when you have Teal Bunbury? I, I, I'm I, I'm curious to see how this plays out. I really don't – and, and – You know, it's probably a good problem that we're criticizing the revolution for spending money in ways we don't know how. Like, it's good that they're spending money in some way for talent, you know what I mean? As opposed to just next man up, you know, (laughs) shove someone in there and hope it works out. Like, it it is good that they're signing attacking options and and bringing back Juan Agadella, who's a quality player. But um, I'm really – there's a number of different ways this lineup could look uh, come opening day.
0: Well, and it, it's funny too cuz you you see people on on twitter you know obviously we see the, the any revs twitter uh, and there's people will complain about the revs spending too much in some places and spending too little in other places and you know it is possible to both be spending too much and spending too little um, and I think we've talked about before how the Revs are one of the highest spending teams on defense. And, you know, that they still have one of the worst defenses in the league. So, you, you know, you can spend too much in, in certain areas and, and kind of hamstring yourself elsewhere. And obviously the Revs are one of the lower spending teams in the league. But, you know, when you only have one guy that's definitely a designated player right now, um, that kind of limits – there's still a salary cap for everybody else. So that kind of limits, um, you know, how much salary you can spend. And if you're spending $600,000 on, on Juan Aguadelo um, to – perhaps not play very much you know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense and then we get into the other guys that they brought in this offseason that all play similar positions you know we talked about the, the big name gill um and you know you mentioned guys like like jones who they haven't signed yet Buchanan and and who we talked about on on the last show but now is official um there just doesn't seem like a whole lot of minutes to go around and you know it, it's a good problem to have to some extent um but again the revolution don't have a, a reserve team there's no usl revs two team where they can just send these guys and you know kind of integrate the whole system it's actually fascinating um to kind of look at the case study of the red bulls who you know have three teams throughout the world as well as a a two team here and the way that they were able to integrate all those teams to try to play similar tactically and then when you know taylor adams goes over to europe to to play over there for for red bull how well he does just sliding right in because they're playing the same tactically you know we look at the Revs roster this year, and at no time has it been you know more apparent of the need for that team because Jones Buchanan Rennickx. I don't know how they're going to get minutes. We're talking about how is you know Juan Aguadello going to get minutes? How are those guys going to get minutes if if is not playing? Um, you know that's you know my question looking into this offseason roster. And there's no two team where you can slot these guys in to get guaranteed minutes. Maybe you loan them out to Hartford, where the affiliation apparently hasn't come together, or or, or somewhere else. But it, it's a different situation where you're doing that because they're not training with the first team. They're not playing the same tactics as the first team because there's no real affiliation or, or, or shared resources. Um, so that's, you know, it's great that they've signed all these great attacking players and they have all of them on the roster, but there's only so many minutes to go around. And when you talk about guys like Rennex, Jones and Buchanan, um, it, it, you, you kind of worry that it's their development if they can't get minutes, right?
1: No, absolutely. And I mean, you, in, in the case of Rennox and Buchanan, I mean, they had college eligibility left. So you, you have to think of it as, you know, Rennox is really a college senior and Buchanan is a college sophomore and you're flat out taking these guys and not giving them any game experience um, or potentially not giving them any game experience. Maybe you're using them as a sub. Maybe you're using them as, uh, you know, kind of someone just to eat up minutes here and there or, or giving them a spot start maybe. But um, yeah, I, I mean, Renick has national team, poten- you know, potential. He's in the pipeline for the national team. Are you really just going to shelve them? I mean, you have to give them minutes somewhere. I'm sure some USL team would love to loan Justin Rennix, but Buchanan, I mean, I don't know. I'm not so sure about. It. And and you don't know if the Revs are going to be um, heavy on that front. I know in the past they've talked about how they want to kind of keep players close and have them train with the um, first team. And they can kind of monitor the development Um I know that that's why the Rochester rhinos uh, affiliation fell apart. I think Mike Burns or, or maybe it was Bielo, made a comment that, you know, it wasn't really helpful because they weren't able to watch their players develop and, and kind of scout their own players necessarily because they'd send them off to Rochester and they, they didn't have any, they, they didn't develop them the way they wanted to, or maybe they played a little bit different tactically and there was a bit of tension there. So um yeah, I mean, there's really no good solution to how do you develop these guys. And that's a big problem that Brad Friel is going to have to figure out. Um, I think everyone – I mean, I, I know you feel this way. I'm sure everyone else listening to this probably feels the same way, that it is a USL team, um, an, an affiliated partner in some ways. And I, I I thought Hartford fit that bill pretty well. But guess not. Uh, it It's going to be a bit of a, a tricky fit. I'm not sure where it goes. And and if we're talking about playing Justin Renex and if we want to play him at – you know, of his best position striker, are you moving Juan Agadello to the bench or moving him to get Renex at his preferred position? You know, if it's Buchanan, Buchanan, I think, played a striker uh, in college. And I think that's where he he can play on the wings, too. But I think forward was was also his preferred position. Um, Or from what I read, it was uh, the position that he has the most potential at. I mean, where where are you getting him minutes at striker? Because you have a massive backlog already. So I, I don't know. The answer is a USL affiliate, but that doesn't look like it's coming together anytime soon.
0: Yeah, and I didn't even, you know, forgot to mention Firmino, too, who they they signed this offseason or, you know, late last season. Um, So there's all these guys. And I think even if you look at, you know, a second 11 for the revolution, at least one or two of these guys, you know, doesn't even make that. Um, So, again, it's, you know, it's a good problem to have in a sense to have all this, you know, attack and quality for once and have this depth. Um, but when you have talking about 18 or 19 year olds that, you know, they really need to be getting minutes somewhere. Um, so you, you know, you kind of hope they figure things out with Hartford and somehow make that work. But, you know, from, from what we've heard and from what the bent musket report, it really doesn't seem like that's going to be, um, the case, unfortunately. Um, but, but like I was saying, you know, you're an idea in your ideal world, you have, you know, an affiliation and a team that kind of plays the same tactics and the same strategy as you. Um, and you know, your guys can play over there and kind of step right into the lineup because that's, you know, they're training the same way and trying to play the same tactics and and they're ready to, to jump into the first team when when the opportunity presents itself. But you know, it, it seems like the revs are, are far from having something like that right now. And you know, this is a year where it would, would really help. Um, so it's it's kind of be interesting to see and fascinating to see how they manage to manage minutes with all of these guys going into the season. Which it, you know, again, is, an, is another thing that Diego Fagundes might be looking at when he's when he's thinking about his future. Um, you know, these guys, some of these guys could be good, and need to step up and, and need to get minutes. Um, so you know, again, something something to keep an eye on.
1: I agree, and and another thing too is, I mean, we're we're talking a lot about the final third today. Um, you know, let's say they do go to a four-four-two, and I I think the two guys in the middle we're we're talking about Gil and and Luis Caicedo. I mean, I, I think it's worth pointing out that they now have kind of maybe not a backlog at defensive midfield, but I know Scott Caldwell has been getting the captain's armband, which I think is a, you know, I, I think that's pretty significant that a longtime Revolution player is. Not only is he getting the captain's armband, but he's a guy that I think a lot of people wouldn't put in their starting lineup. I know some people have soured on Scott Caldwell over the years, and I think we're higher on Scott Caldwell than a lot of other people. But a lot of people wouldn't picture Scott Caldwell being in the lineup. Some people might think even if you go with a 4-2-3-1, would be in the lineup over Caldwell. But hes I think him getting the armband is a pretty positive sign that he, we might be seeing Scott Caldwell um, a lot this season, John.
0: Yeah, and I I don't think you can read too much into preseason, but when it comes to the captain's armband, I think you can read a lot into that. And, you know, We've talked about this before. Brad Friedel keeps hammering home mentality, mentality, mentality. And you know, you looked going into the last season, he made Claude Dielma, a guy that went, you know, played in England, played in France, had all this experience internationally. And and again, Friedel talks about the experience playing in England and how it's different there and how you're you know constantly fighting for a spot and the guys aren't nice to each other and they're you know they feel like people are threats. Um, so it made sense that he went out and you know made Dielma captain. It didn't work out. Um, and then, you know, we've seen some of Mancianic captain, I think we've seen some of Delamea at captain, all these guys that have played in Europe um, that, you know, in theory have that mentality because they played over there from from what Friedel said. Um, so to see Scott Caldwell, a guy that's, you know, a revolution homegrown player that came up through the U.S. system um, that hasn't experienced that, you know, European system that, that Friedel talks so much about and how it is over there, get that captain's armband, you know, that tells me a lot about what Brad Friedel thinks about him. And he obviously thinks very highly of him, um, both in his play and and, and his mentality, um, so, I, you know, I think that's a, a great sign for Scott Caldwell and probably a sign that we're going to be seeing a lot of him this year. Uh, you mentioned that that log jam at central midfield. Um, with Caicedo and Caldwell and, and Zahibo. Um, you know, I, I still kind of think, even though we talked about earlier with the 4 2, I still kind of think when this shakes out that, that two of those guys are going to be starting regularly next to each other um, long term. Uh, and I think it's probably going to be Caldwell and, and, and Caicedo. But, but you're right, it is going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And, and Caldwell getting the captain's armband to me implies that he's going to be, you know, a regular starter this season um, and, and probably should be.
1: Yeah. And, and another thing, too, is, and I feel like this is a criticism we've made in the past, but really the revs for boy, how long, Sean, how long have they been playing the four, two, three, one? I mean, it's so one dimensional. I, I mean, it's so four, two, three, one, just as long as I can remember going well past the MLS cup. I feel like, I mean, it seems like years since they have played anything differently. Now these guys yeah, you're not going to fit everyone into the starting lineup, but it seems like they are able to mix and match and play different opponents. You know, if they want to play a 4-1, 4-1, they can do that. If they want to play a 4-2, 2-2, if they want to play a 4-4-2, you know, there are different ways they can kind of approach each game and they can mix and match. So, I mean, maybe that's what Freels doing, where we're not setting up, maybe we're going to have our standard one default formation, but, you know, if we go on the road, we're going to have, you know, to more of a defensive lineup. I mean that maybe that's their strategy going into the season. That you know we we can't go out and roll the same eleven players out every day um, or, or every game, and when we we need to mix and match based on the opponent. And and considering what Friedel said at the beginning of last year, where you know, hey, your 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 starting lineup spot is earned in. Training and has earned, you know, and how well you practice and how well your mentality is and your preparation. I mean, I think two months into the season, we kind of realized he kind of realized not there isn't enough depth to, you know, put Femi over teal bunbury you know there there isn't enough depth where you can put samoya in over you know uh de la maya like there isn't the quality in your depth and it seems like this offseason i know a lot of the a lot of the criticism of the revs was that they promised a new revolution roster but they kept 20 players or 19 players from last season but it it looks like they're just trying to build depth and we're going to have some guys that started for the team last year that are going to be making spot starts and and coming off the bench so um you know we don't know how it's piecing together yet but it's still exciting and it's exciting that we're not stuck to that four two three one that it seems like we've been playing and in, in for all of existence.
0: Well, and talking about tax, I want to bring up the quote that uh, Jeff Lemieux got from from Brad Friedel just about a week ago now, um, which is about pressing because um, as you know we talk about a lot, the revolution really focused on pressing last year, and that really was kind of their strategy um, for for last season. So it was interesting. You know, Jeff Lemieux asked Brad Friedel about how important these early preseason games are for new players who are the system, including the press. And this is the quote from Brad Friedel. Uh, pressing is only a small part of our team. We probably work with the ball more than pressing. So I want I think we need to stop with all the pressing talk End quote. Um, so, so that was kind of interesting from Brad Friedel, because if you go through his quotes last year, Brad Friedel talked a lot about pressing. So it's, uh, it's kind of interesting for him to now say that I think we should stop talking about it so much. Um, you know, I'm not reading so much into this as it suggests that the revolution are going to stop focusing on the press and actually, you know, play a different style of soccer. Um, but perhaps I should be. Do you take anything away from from this quote? Or I mean, because even with what, what we've seen in highlights from preseason, it still does seem like they're doing a lot of pressing.
1: I, I mean, it might go to what I just said about, you know, they might approach every game differently and they might want to throw different tactics out. It seems like Brad Friedel yeah he emphasized pressing last year and that seemed to be a big part of their game and I think he yeah you know, we we talked last year Sean around the you know May or June can this team press all season can you really run the same 11 guys out there and press all year and you know expect them not to get tired and you know they pressed all season and they kind of faded toward the end of the season they they, they their spirits were a little bit broken after that Galaxy game um you know I I think he kind of realizes that you know if the press gets broken, if you know, you're know you relying too much on that back line, which is still pretty shaky going into this season, I think he kind of realizes that the press is not going to be a one-fit-size-all. So am I reading a whole lot into this? Not really. I mean, I, I think he is just kind of tired of the narrative that they can only press or that's what they rely on, which is – kind of true, or at least it was true at times last year. Um, I still expect them to press. I still expect them to press a lot. But I I think he's kind of approaching it with a different mindset this year. I think the tactics in 2019 are going to be a lot different from 2018.
0: So one more roster thought here I want to get your thoughts on is one area where we haven't seen much movement is on the defense. They signed Edgar Castillo with that trade. But other than that, there, there hasn't been a defensive signing um, and there's rumors now that they might you know, sign giles phillip on, on a loan um, it's interesting that uh, mark segber is signed for soil park rangers i always wondered if there was a chance he'd you know, get a trial in preseason and come back so obviously that's not going to happen um, he's now in kansas city system um, but are you surprised that we haven't seen a defensive signing yet and is the depth there because to me it looks like there's a lack of depth there am i crazy to be concerned that the revolution don't have enough depth defensively this year
1: um no that's a a big that is a big worry I think that a lot of people have um I will say that I know the revolution they had an article about and I I saw some other people write articles too about how Mancien um has adjusted to the United States how he's looking forward to getting a full season in um how he's made the adjustment and you know Mancien also has he had the I believe he had the captain the captain's armband a little bit last year. I know he's had it a little bit in preseason, too. He's expected to kind of come in, stabilize that back line, and be a leader. So, um, you know, maybe they think that now that Mancien has kind of adjusted uh, and has had some time to practice with his teammates, that maybe that back line is going to be a little bit better this, uh, this season. Um, but overall, yeah, I think a lot of people were expecting to see a – center back uh come in and, and be paired with Mancienne. um right back i think between brandon by and andrew farrell i know you know neither of those guys are, are making an mls all-star team uh anytime soon but i, I mean i don't think there there's poor quality at right back and left back you do have edgar castillo and then I, I don't know who goes behind him maybe farrell or by can switch over to the left but
0: well, well edgar, Somi is still on the roster somehow oh
1: right <laughs> oh right boy it's been a, you know, we, we haven't done a podcast in a month. It's been a full month since I've thought about Gabriel Somi. And, you know, we made that joke last time. I, I, only, oh, man, Gabriel Somi, he's going to come off the bench and he's going to contribute significantly. We've been ripping on him all offseason. I'm just waiting for Gabriel Somi to be the biggest surprise player for the Revolution. And, uh, Guillermo Hauce is going to score 10 goals <laughs> for, you know, the Sounders or something. So, um, But no, I I think when uh, US Open Cup time comes, uh, the biggest uh, hole in in depth is going to be along that back line, because I'm not sure who is going to be, you know, who who would take over for uh, Edgar Castillo at left back. I mean, there are still, if you're looking at a depth chart, you know, we can do all sorts of combinations with the uh, strikers or the attacking midfield or the central midfield. Uh, But when it comes to the back line, it's fairly predictable. That's probably going to be Farrell on the right, Castillo on the left. Mancien, and then probably De La Mea in the center, and then Anebaba Baba is going to be your backup center back, Bai is going to be your backup right back, and I guess Bai is going to be your backup left back. I mean, and that, that's not a whole lot of depth. I, I think I would have liked to have seen a new center back come in, be paired with Mancien, um, and I, I think a, another fullback would have been great because as much as I like Brandon Bai as kind of an attacking wing back. I still think he has some questions defensively. Um and 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 another thing too is I, I know Andrew Farrell has been getting some time at center back uh, in preseason, and I know it's preseason. I know they're just testing him out, but Andrew Farrell as a center back is not the best. So I I that that alone makes me feel like they know there's a little bit of a hole depth that they have to use Andrew Farrell as an emergency backup situation.
0: Yeah, I mean it's crazy that they've had to use him there in, in preseason. Um, we've, you know, again he's much better at right back. We've, he's had the opportunity to play center back; it hasn't worked out. Um, and you know, as we've discussed, I think it's stunted his development a bit at right back. That he's, you know, during the Heaps era, he was forced to play a lot of minutes there. Um, you know, pretty much an entire season at one point. Um, so it's interesting that they are now bringing in. Uh, Giles Phillips, the U23 player from Queens Park Rangers, um, has been trying with the team in Spain. And there's stories out there that they've already basically brought him in on loan and just haven't announced it. Um, that's kind of an interesting one to me because, you know, he's a 21-year-old um, on the U23s and, and QPR, you know, championship team and, uh, you know, second division team in England. Um, guy that played third division soccer in the U.S. and kind of came out of nowhere to, to make it onto to QPR's roster, but doesn't really have many first team minutes. Um, it, it's always surprising when you see a guy like that, you know, go on loan to a team like the Revolution where y- you look at it and it doesn't seem very likely that he would get too many minutes on the Revs. He'd be a backup, a much-needed backup for the Revs certainly, but it's surprising. To me, that a team like QPR would, would loan him into a situation um, where he's probably not going to get many minutes. When that's, you know, ideally the goal of, of a loan in the first place, um, you know, are you more high on this potential loan than I am, where he might actually step in? Because I do think that you know there's an opportunity to beat out annie Baba and De La Mayo, but this doesn't seem like the guy, right?
1: Yeah, granted, I, I haven't, as I say, I haven't watched the full uh, preseason game, so I, I don't know how he's looked. In preseason, I'm not very familiar with him, but from his resume and from what you just said, it it strikes me as kind of like a Samba-type loan where he kind of comes over and, I don't know, he seems like a depth uh, piece. Um, I'm not sure how highly QPR holds him in regards. I I mean, I I don't really know a whole lot about this guy, but... um, It doesn't seem to me that he's going to be challenging De La Mea, who's getting caps with the Slovenian national team, uh, and Anibaba, who, you know, did impress at points last year. I know he was a little inconsistent, but um, uh, he, he does not seem like a huge upgrade over either of them, especially De La Mea. So yeah, I, I, I think it would be kind of a loan where he's in the mix uh, and he's competing for a spot. Um, and, and maybe he can also kind of move out to left back. I mean, maybe they kind of view him as a guy who's a little versatile, who can play center back and, and maybe a little bit of wing back. Again, I, I don't know that for sure. I, I Everywhere I've seen him, I've seen him listed as center back. So that's a total guess on my part. Um, but it might be like a christian machado type thing where they're like oh he can actually play four positions so we like him. um you know maybe this is a scenario where he can play all along the back line and, and he might have some value at left back too um but yeah overall is this something i'm getting super excited about not really
0: yeah and the one thing i will say is De La may i think is a you know, very good soccer player a very good center back um but I, I don't think he fits what Brad Friedel is trying to do, or at least what he was trying to do last year, in which we saw, you know, Friedel play a, a very high back four. And if there's one thing you can say that over, you know, Maya's time here, his noticeable weakness is is kind of long balls over the top. That's where he gets caught, um, getting beaten, where he's been dragging down guys and gotten red cards. Um, and, and obviously, when you're playing a high line, you're kind of inviting that onto yourself. And it seems like you know that's what Brad Friedel, at least last year, wanted to do. And if he wants to do that again this year you know, as good as De La May can be and as good as we've seen him be, I don't really think he fits that system. Um, for me, that's where the concern comes in. Because I think if, you know, if you were playing kind of more of a, you know, typical four man back line and, and, and staying back a bit more, that De La May is you know, perfectly fine. He's a good passer out of the back. Um, he can play that position well and, you know, could potentially pair well with Mancian from what we've seen. Uh, but I think if you're playing that high line, you know, that's a, a problem pro- problem for a guy like De La May. And I think that's why a lot of people were hoping to see them go out there and kind of get a center back to compete for that spot um and so you know it's not just depth i think the the team's in good shape with with mancian with farrell with castillo um but i do think there's still question marks about that that second center back as as good as de May is capable of being because I'm, i just don't think he fits um with what they're doing and i'm and i'm not sure in that system he partners well with Mancien.
1: no i i agree 100 and and another thing too is that you know if if someone is injured, if De La Mea is injured, I mean you have Annababa and then no one else. So I mean I, I think the, you know the Revs are hoping to loan him for a portion of his salary. He'll he'll be here a year. He's really just there as kind of the Nicholas Samoya type where he's the fourth center back in need of emergency or or maybe he's going to challenge for uh you know he might get a game here or there but i I can't imagine him being the full-time starter but um getting back to de la maya i think you're absolutely right where um if there is a spot on the field that um is in need of an upgrade i think de la maya has some really good leadership qualities and is a very good soccer player like you said but um you're right at, at times he's looked a little bit out of place in the past couple seasons
0: yeah, and, and on that note, I want to jump quickly to um, two interesting articles uh, – you know, switching topics a bit – two interesting articles that have been posted on The Athletic recently, um, both of which kind of portray the Revs not in the, the, the best light um, – the first of which is, you know, Callen Rowe was obviously traded. There's an article that by Paul Tenorio on him, um, and some interesting quotes from there. And you know, which he obviously talks about how much happier he is in Kansas City and how rough the last two years were on him. And I think he pointed out, like particularly um, the most recent year under Friedel. Um, you know, it, his quotes, you know, make it clear that he obviously wasn't happy here. And but you wonder if there's a, a bigger problem. Uh, and then you see the the other quote that that Pablo Moore put out. Um, he had, he was working on an article where he surveyed players anonymously to, to talk about uh, the CBA and, and other things. And, you know, one of the players said, there said, quote, there are eight to 10 clubs doing a good job of running things right now. Um all of the players know if you end up going to a, from a place like sporting kansas city atlanta united new york city fc or la to a club like new england you'll be miserable um and of course we don't know who said that so it's possible it was even <laughs> keller go that said that anonymously um but are, 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 you know these two things especially taken together you know, something that sh- fans should be concerned about uh given the culture around the revolution and, and also given you know what we've heard you know I'll, I'll be years ago now, from guys like Michael Parker, guys like Jeff Luranoquets, or more recently guys like Lee Wen, um, it seems like there's a, a bit of a trend here, right?
1: Yeah, and you know we hear stuff like this coming all the time that New England is not the best place to play. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, it, it clearly has a reputation. Um, I think that the Kellen Rowe quotes are a lot more damaging. Um, I, I mean, it, and you know he he was a disgruntled player. I mean, he didn't fit with Brad Friedel. Some sometimes that just happens where a coach and player don't necessarily see eye to eye. They don't interact well. Maybe they don't like each other. Maybe there's some personal feelings. Um, but yeah, I mean in, in the case of Kellen Rowe, I mean it's backed up by Lee Wynn and, and all those other players you just mentioned in this other article that's come out. Um I, I think there are some bits and pieces here that, you know, Brad Friedel is new, so some of the older players you can't really, you know, attribute to his style of play. But Um, I think Kellen Rowe coming out and having an article about, you know, Brad Friedel not seeing eye to eye with one of his potentially best players. Some people felt going into last season, Kellen Rowe was one of the best players on the team Um, for for one of your former best players coming out uh, one year later and saying, you know, making these kind of quotes publicly. Um, it's really not a a positive thing. And I I think too, if Kellen Rowe has a really, really good season in Kansas city, um, I think that's going to make Brad free look even worse that he's not getting the best out of his players. Um, that he's a little bit, aggressive in his kind of comments and um and and, you know it's no secret that Brad Friedel is a demanding coach too uh you know I mean his comments at halftime to on the live broadcast he's been extremely critical of certain players and it's not easy to or it's not hard to read between the lines about who he's talking about so um yeah I I mean it's hard for us to sit here and and guess how much of a culture problem there is in New England but um I mean kind of going off of the same methodology earlier, uh, there's a lot of smoke here. So, I mean, it it, it doesn't speak well for the revolution.
0: And and the only thing I'll add, too, is you look at a guy like Conroe who has done so much for this team, both on and off the field, and has never really complained about anything. And you you talk to him after the games, he's always one of the guys willing to talk. And you know, he doesn't strike you as that guy that kind of, you know, sticks out and is a sore thumb and makes problems like, like Lee Wynn, you know, certainly there were those complaints over the years about his contract. And, you know, he was a guy that was, you know, over the years at different points, consistently, you know, complaining about different things, whether it was on the record, off the record or, you know, through, through his agent or whatever it was, you know, when he was playing well and when things were going well, he was great. And, you know, it was great to talk to and everything, but, you know, every off season, when there was a chance to increase his contract, you'd hear that talk. So you knew that, you know, he was a guy that, wasn't necessarily always happy but Roe was a guy that didn't let that on you could you know perhaps tell in his expressions this season that he wasn't as happy as he was in the past um, but I particularly find it fascinating when you have a guy like Roe come out and talk about how he's having so much fun now and you know how he wasn't the past couple of years um, you know because he's not the type of guy that you expect to complain about things and he's still not really complaining about things he's sort of more implying things
1: yeah um, this isn't Jermaine Jones coming out and no and, and, I, and I feel this is and Ro.
0: exactly and I feel the same way about you know, years ago, a guy like Michael Parkhurst, who was, you know, very soft-spoken and positive guy. Um, so there's a lot of guys that, you know, aren't the type of person to to cause a ruckus that, you know, you now know either publicly or, or privately have said things that, um, you know, don't portray the team in the best light. And they're guys that generally, you know, you wouldn't expect to say those type of things <laughs> unless they were true. Uh, so, yeah, to me, it is it is worrying to see this from from Cal and Rowe. But at the same time not really surprising, um, that he wouldn't be happy based on how, you know, the last two seasons went with, you know, two years ago, him being forced to play a lot of left back and, and last year being stuck into a system that, uh, didn't really seem to fit him and, and, you know, generally didn't really have a good season performance wise. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, kind of fascinating. I don't know. Was there, was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we jumped into to Twitter questions? I think we got a lot of good ones.
1: No, I, I other than, you know, I, we, I understand why Kellen Rowe is frustrated, and, and you could see it. I mean, and I think we all said it. Like we we said it. I think everyone who has followed the Revolution knew Kellen Rowe wasn't being used. How Kellen Rowe should have been played. I mean, there was that one game. I forget who they played. They used two subs. They needed an offensive player, and Kellen Rowe wasn't wasn't taken off the bench. And and Sean, we had that. We talked about it on our podcast. And we said under this is the the perfect place to put in a player with Kellen Rowe's skill set. You need a spark, and and he is an offensive player. He can play midfield. He can create a chance. He can he can score goals. I mean, he, he's, a, he's an offensive midfielder. He's an attacking – potentially, you know, 10 – some people thought he should have been the number 10 last year over Diego Fagundes going into the season. Um, and the most minutes he got in the second half of the season was at left back. And I know it was because of need, but uh, – if you're Kellen Rowe, I understand why you're upset and why you're angry about it, and, and why you have these questions of, what could I have possibly done? And so I, I understand his frustration, but yeah, it's it's so out of character uh for him to trash a coach i mean i i don't think i ever saw him quote say anything negative about jay heaps who used him in the same way so it's it's interesting i know he he talked about the past two years and and that spans the that covers part of the jay heaps era but it seemed like a lot of those comments were aimed directly at brad friedel um so pretty shocking to me but um, i don't have any other topics do you want to hop on to twitter questions yeah i think it's a good time for those all right. Um so uh let's start out with a question from uh, Mike Kennedy. Um he says uh can Gill be deployed out wide or is he best used centrally? Uh Sean, uh my 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 inclination is he, you know, they're spending big money, they're making him the 10. Um I I don't think they're spending this large amount of money to keep Diego as the 10 and move him out wide, right, him move him out wide right. Um although I, I think he certainly can play out there, but what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think the answer to both these questions is is yes, he can be deployed out wide, but I I think the expectation is that he's going to play centrally, and maybe there'll be some games this season where the Revolution play a kind of a four four two you know, empty bucket as like the U.S. has done in the past in which it's, you know, perhaps Gill plays on the right, Panilla on the left, and you have two strikers and then two more defensive midfielders. I could perhaps see that, but I, I think the majority of this season, um, you know, they brought him in to kind of play that number 10 role, even though he's not wearing number 10, um, and I expect that's, that's where he's going to be um, with, you know, Panilla and Fagundes perhaps on the wings or maybe somebody other than Fagundes on the wings, but what we've seen in preseason is he's mostly been playing centrally and, you know, you don't spend that much money on a guy uh, to not get him the ball as much as possible, um, And I think to get the, the ball as much as possible will have him play centrally.
1: Uh, AJ asks us, "How does our current pool of young talent compare to the past couple of years?" Um, I I'll take this one first too, Sean. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you you have a lot you can expand on these thoughts because uh, I, I don't know a whole hell of a lot about the uh, the players coming in, um, but uh, I mean I would say it's probably as high as it's been in a very long time. Uh, Justin Renex, who is a potential United States men's national team player, is in your pipeline. Um, I think tell you, you know, Buchanan, I know he was acquired through the Super Draft, and we talk all the time about how the Super Draft is losing its value and not to expect anything from these guys, but um, you know, he's 19 years old. He has a lot of potential. He can grow. I, I think if you put him into a system where, uh, or you put him with coaches who, who can train him up and to get the most out of his skills, I think he is going to see significant MLS minutes. I think Isaac Anking is a great prospect who's going to be able to be in your midfield in a couple years full time. Um, who am I missing, Sean? Am I missing anyone else massively? I, I and then we talk about other guys like Firmino, uh, who, you know i i don't know a whole lot but uh, i mean they're signing him for a reason uh, they certainly see some uh, potential in him and i think i believe he's only 17 years old so it might be a while until we see him but it seems like through this is one of the most hyped probably by us <laughs> only but this is the highest this is the highest super draft i've had i've seen in a long time where i've actually had expectations for these players we're getting some homegrown signings and and i actually have expectations that they're going to uh, break through and and I mean, who was our youth in the past, Zach Caravo? I mean I, I so this question to me is uh, the or the answer to me is that this is as high of a kind of youth movement as I can remember
0: i'm 100 percent with you. you look at you know the 18 19 20 year olds on this roster the promising attacking talent um i've i've never seen something like this at any point in this team you know going going back to looking at some of their international signings that were young guys like Nyasi and mansali had some promise but um at, at one time i don't recall ever seeing this many guys um and they're you know late teens or are or, or 20 years old um but the issue, as we discussed earlier, is they really all play the same two or three positions, um, which, you know – isn't necessarily a bad thing because you know you talk about how much talent these guys have realistically not all of them are going to turn into stars not all of them are going to turn into regular mls contributors even Um, so it's okay to have multiple guys in the same spot and and not expect them all to make it Um, but you know i I haven't seen this many young attacking players ever in in revolution history on the roster so that's something to to give a lot of hope to their revolution fan base where you know after last season there maybe wasn't that much to look forward to Um, i think going into next season with all these you know good young signings in addition to guys like gill um, on the on the top end of the roster the younger guys that have potential going forward is, is really exciting um, my, my one question is when are the revolution ever going to produce a homegrown defensive player uh, because it would be nice to see some young defenders on this roster that that can also help you know build up and you know long-term solve their defensive problems uh, because again that seems to be a big hole there and for some reason they have yet to produce a defender from their academy
1: yep um, moving on, and I, I think we might have already kind of covered this one a little bit, but Alex Welsh asked us, uh, what is the single greatest position of need headed into the season opener? Um, and, and we we've been talking about the starting lineup and, and a lot today about how there's a lot of, uh, players that they've added to the attacking third and how they really didn't add along that back line I, I think depth at center back and depth at left back is the clear hole uh, to this team I really think everywhere else you can mix and mash players um, there's a lot of versatility that you can add to this lineup um, but when you get to that back line you kind of know who's filling in and, and it's I'm not very enthusiastic about it it's the same back line as last year that a lot of people were uh, not happy with uh, us included John. So um, I would say the biggest position need even if it's not really a starter But uh, I think a reliable center back maybe a pair uh, a center back to go with mantien would be the number one need for the revolution
0: Yeah, I think that's the, the number one need and hole for this team um, But if I was to say the number one position where they could make a, a big signing that could have a huge impact I would actually go with the defensive midfielder. I know we talked about the depth they have there um, But to me Casado and call are both very good players but they're both, you know, guys that I think could benefit from being paired with a, a very strong, dominant defensive midfielder. I am thinking a guy like Shari Joseph in his prime. Um, obviously, you know, Shari Josephs don't grow on grow on trees. They're very hard to find. Or a guy like Osvaldo you know, Alonso. You know, that really truly defensive uh it's the really truly dominant defensive midfielder that can, you know, break up plays and can be counted on to, to transition into the attack. Um, I think Caldwell and Cansayto would be great paired next to that guy rather than paired together or rather than by themselves. And if there's one position where you could really make an impact and turn this team into, you know, from but I think right now, as a playoff contender to an actual potential championship contender, it's finding that dominant, you know, defensive midfielder. I do think they could use an upgrade at center back next to Mancien, um and that would help the team. But I th- to me, the, the the area that could make the biggest impact is if they could go out and find that guy.
1: I thought for a second you were going to say the the. Biggest need was a goalkeeper, and I was going to engage in a very long argument <laughs> with you. Uh, Matt Turner, PK save the other day.
0: Uh, well, the the, oh, the uh, play that led to the penalty kick was, was also his fault.
1: Matt Turner podcast, Turner Train 2019. Let's ignore, go. Ignore that bad pass. <laughs> uh, let's stick to the uh, goalkeeper position, though, which we often ignore because – I mean, what's there to talk about? Matt Turner's the starter, greatest goalie in MLS. Uh, but uh, Joe asks us, can't read too much into it because it's preseason. Uh, but Cropper got a start, uh, or, or Cropper got a start in the uh, starting eleven last game, the uh, last preseason game. Uh, is he getting a legitimate second look by Brad? So,
0: you know, as we saw last season, nobody thought Matt Turner was going to be the starter, and he ended up being the starter, and obviously that ended up being the the right decision. Um, I think Brad Friedel wouldn't have brought Cody Cropper back if he wasn't going to give him a legitimate shot in preseason. Um, Do I think Cody Cropper is going to be the starter for the revolution this year, or even the the second-string goalkeeper? No. Um, But I— I do think Brad Friedel's going to give him a fair shot and give him every opportunity to do so. For, through the first three games of preseason, he only played forty-five minutes, um, so he did get the least amount of minutes before that last game. So you know, he got another forty-five minutes in that game. I don't read anything into the fact that you know he you know, got got a, got time with this. You know what is thought to be the starters in that game. Um, But again, I I think Brad Friedel is open-minded when it comes to the goalkeeper spot in particular. He obviously was one of the best goalkeepers, if not the best goalkeeper in U.S. history. So, you know, as I've said before, if there's one position I trust Brad Friedel's judgment on, it's goalkeeper. And I think he's going to give Cody Cropper every chance to earn more minutes this season. Um, But I still don't think it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, and and, I mean, I, I took this too as, you know backup goalkeeper competition cropper's going to get his reps in um you know uh, and and we talked about this too when they made the decisions that you know Cody Cropper's salary number is not outrageous um he has some experience in Europe he's a really really good number three I mean to have that resume as a number three goalkeeper which usually goes to just you know a guy coming out of college um you know I I think he's pretty good for a, a number three goalkeeper. Um, and another thing too, that you gotta remember is that, you know, uh, Cody Cropper is 26 years old, uh, next week. Um, he, he did have eight clean sheets in 2017. I mean, he, he, he has had some positive moments with the revolution. Uh, so, and, and, you know, nine, I mean, I, I still think Brad Knighton is the number two, I think he's the veteran leader who's been there, done that. Uh, I think the revolution have a lot of confidence in Brad Knighton to, you know, if Matt Turner goes down, uh, he can go in and, and do the job. And he, I thought he played pretty well last season uh, when they needed him. Uh, so I, I, I can't imagine Cropper uh, moving up on the depth chart. But who's to say that, you know, if, he, if he's shown flash of potential here and there, if there's an injury, um, he, he might get a start here or there. I, I don't think that's totally out of the question um let's see uh so here we, we've kind of gone over this a little bit too and i, I don't want to be too repetitive uh but uh at bilfkin uh assess who are the likely starters uh what's the rotation sub strategy uh what's missing what's missing and then uh kind of to pair with that zach grimes asks us who is expected to be the super sub this season so i'll, I'll take this one sean while you kind of you for your answers, but um, it's hard to project where what the lineup exactly is going to be, so I'm going to give what my starting lineup is as of right now, and it's not too wild or different from what we saw last season, but Matt Turner's in goal, Castillo on the left, Farrell on the right, Mancian and De La May in the center. Uh, I love the pairing of Caldwell and Caicedo. I, I think they both cause a lot of turnovers and can push the ball up and, and kind of work the counter really well. Um, Panilla and Fagundes on the wings. Uh, Gill in the center, and then I, I'd start Caicedo number two um, up top as the kind of finisher specialist, uh, kind of play the Teal Bunbury role. Um, and then I'm, I'm putting Juan Agadello as my super sub, uh, and then I, I'm going to just kind of, for brownie points, I have my whole bench here, Sean. Uh, Brad Knighton is my backup keeper, and then I have Brandon By, Wilfred Zahibo, uh, Jaleel Anibaba, uh Justin Redix, and Isaac Anking. Uh, as my bench, uh, and, and putting in Renix and Anking, uh, you know, if there's a 3 nothing game and we want to get the kids some minutes, that that's kind of the role I, I think they play, because Agadello, Annie Zahibo, By kind of fit all the other positions. They kind of can play wherever you need them to be, so um, that's what I have down. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some significant differences just because I'm expecting some surprises, just like we saw after the preseason last season. I'm expecting a potential Formation change to a four-four-two. Um, this is a really, really hard lineup to guess what Brad Friedel is thinking. So I'm I'm going conservative in my adjustments, so to say. Uh, that it's going to be a similar style to last year, and um, you know the big signings that came in kind of are filling the slots that we expect them to.
0: So if you follow me on Twitter, I tweeted out my lineup prediction on January 31st. And it was exactly the same as Greg's for the starting eleven. So I didn't cheat. I didn't
1: cheat. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm
0: I'm only pointing that out to say I am not copying Greg. <laughs> I down
1: an ins card ten minutes ago. I'm
0: sorry. I am only pointing that out to to say I am not copying Greg when I say I had the exact same starting eleven, um, which I don't think is you know crazy by for, for anyone to come up with that
1: 11. Um, this, is, this is worse when Brian takes my prediction <laughs> and I have to change it and be like, well, I guess 3-1 now.
0: Well, and I and I also, my bench was, I had six of the seven, I tweeted out my bench as well, and I had six of the seven guys that, that Greg had there, with the only difference being I had Bunbury instead of Renicks. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think we're pretty much on the same page there. I don't think there's going to be right now. I don't think there's too much change from what we've seen last year, but that could change. Um, to me, as I discussed earlier, I think Bunberg is a great super sub. I do think as the season goes on that there's going to be every opportunity for um, either Rennox or Buchanan to kind of take that, that super rep, sub role or maybe even Jones. Um, or Firmino, I think one of those young guys could could move into that you know that first guy off the bench, is attacking talent, um, and of course you know Agodello's in that that mix as well. But r- right now that's my starting eleven, and I think Bunbury, um, if the team is trailing or if the team is tied, and needs a goal is going to be the first guy off the bench, and if the team is trying to hold on to a lead as as a super sub, you know maybe it's Zahibo. You know that, that's actually something that I don't think they have. Perhaps the the best options of somebody that you can kind of bring into the midfield and and hold possession and try to hold on to a lead. Um, last year, when you know calvo wasn't starting every game and when he was on the bench in a game like the Galaxy game, he'd seem like the perfect fit for that. Um, but if he's starting, I'm not really sure there is somebody that would be your super sub as far as trying to hold a lead.
1: So, because uh, I have to change my lineup now because I, I feel like I stole it. I want Somi at left back. I want Brian Wright starting <laughs> up top. I want Cropper in goal, and I want Zahibo as the ten. And, so, uh, and who, no one I can't st- I possibly have stolen that so, lineup from anyone and,
0: and who are they playing in that Open Cup game?
1: <laughs> uh wait, what are you what? <laughs> that that sounds like an
0: Open Cup lineup to me. But uh <laughs> yes. oh yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll beat Louisville City
0: with that lineup. Although, although speaking of the Open Cup, I don't have it in front of me, but I, they changed the scheduling this year to the point where I think like 50% of MLS teams are going to be playing MLS teams when they enter the competition, which to me is absolutely horrible and ruins the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, so whoever made that decision, you know, shame on you for destroying the oldest cup competition in America.
1: Well, they added um, another qualifying round, didn't they, for the amateur teams? So there's fewer amateur teams moving up. Yeah. They have to, They have another round, which uh, the whole point of the Cup is for amateur teams. I mean, the, I, I don't care about the U.S. Open Cup semifinals and finals unless the Revolution are in it. But – I absolutely love seeing the local amateur teams uh, fight their way up the chain and and challenge an MLS team in the the fourth round. So um, I'm not sure why they are trying to make the U.S. Open Cup worse. One um, one thing I I kind of wish they would do if they want to kind of make this format is kind of do a you know how England has the FA Cup and then what are they calling it now? The Carling Cup or the... The, the Carling Cup. They,
0: it changes every year. Yeah, they, they
1: change it every like year. I don't even know what it's on, you know, I, whatever. Just, just call but, it the League but, Cup. But, <laughs> right. The League Cup, uh, where they have kind of the top leagues play a cup. I mean, ha- have an MLS Cup. Have an MLS and USL Cup. And then have the US Open Cup where all, you know, you expand it and more amateur teams can play. I, I think that'd be... That's more than reasonable, but essentially what they're doing is so you know making it so only MLS cups are only MLS teams are are making these final these later rounds, and and I I think there's very little appeal to that. I, I don't see the point of doing a basically an exhibition tournament where the teams that are taking it seriously are eliminated in the first round, the teams that aren't taking it seriously are pushed to the end.
0: Yeah, so just to, to clarify what, what I said earlier, you the fourth round now is when MLS teams enter, and 21 MLS teams enter in the fourth round, and at which point there are only 11 other teams left. So two-thirds of the fourth-round teams are MLS teams, which, again, like you were saying nobody wants to see the you know revolution reserves play the new york red bull reserves in you know an open cup match maybe it's nice if the revs go play it at harvard and you know there's that kind of novelty to it that's that's great um but uh, to me i love watching the revolution go and play the, the harrisburg city islanders or you know the rochester rhinos or something like that but there's no real appeal to seeing two reserve teams play each other and it really diminishes the value of the cup in my mind so that's Know really disappointing to me. I wasn't expecting to go on that rant today, but but when I heard, when I heard that Open Cup lineup that you were listing out there, just kind of kind of brought that to the forefront.
1: <laughs> well, projected starting lineup, but yes, uh, did you see the Canadian Cup too? Their format is total garbage. I, I, did you see that that format?
0: I I hadn't looked at that yet, but I assumed it's changed significantly now that there's a Canadian. Uh, I don't think I have.
1: Whatever. I don't think I have time to pull it up, but I, I think it's something like. One MLS, uh, one of the three MLS teams gets a bye to like the semifinals. There's like five rounds and it's the same kind of concept as the MLS structure where, you know, MLS teams are added towards the end. But because there are so few MLS teams, two teams are added in in something like the quarterfinals and one team is added in the semifinals. So, I mean, they, they, two, two games and you've won the cup. it's ridiculous it's something like it's don't quote me there might be some slight differences but i saw it and it's a total joke Uh,
0: i i I see it now toronto fc gets a good spy all the way into the
1: semifinals i I mean (laughs) why even have the tournament i mean why not just give toronto the cup
0: Yeah, and maybe save a lot of people a lot of time yeah it's i don't know the the point of these cups are to give amateur teams a chance to play pro teams, not to have the amateur teams eliminate each other and the, you know, second division teams eliminate each other until they're down to almost none. And then introduce the MLS teams to it. It just, you know, kind of ruins it. So I guess, guess rant over on that so we can wrap things up because we've gone on for, for a long time here. Um, did you have any shout outs before we, we wrap things up?
1: um, just kind of shout out to uh, Sebastian Giovinco uh, getting, uh, leaving MLS, which I think was a pretty big shock to a lot of people. Um, I'm not going to pretend like he was my favorite player in the world. Um, I think his last moment in Gillette Stadium was him uh, coming on as a sub uh, and then getting red carded uh, <laughs> in, in stoppage time. So uh, yeah, he played with a, a bit of fire, but um, you certainly have to – notice his or, or respect the impact he had on the MLS I think he brought a lot of legitimacy to the MLS that he was kind of a player that was getting uh you know in with the Italian national team uh, and he came over and his kind of his prime years pretty much I, I forget what age he, he was at when he came over but um he was a superstar that came over and uh really dominated the league and, <laughs> and it was a really really big get for the MLS so um you know sad to see him go but Uh, You know, big shout out to him and uh, the impact he had on uh, soccer in the country.
0: Yeah, and if you haven't read it, it's it's worth reading his Instagram post when he was leaving because he uh, threw some shade at the uh, Toronto front office on the on the way out. Um, so <laughs> made, he made
1: yeah, Kellen Rowe blush. Yeah. yeah,
0: so so uh, there there were uh, no punches pulled here. So certainly, if you if you haven't looked at it, take a look at it. Um, but if anything, it makes me you know I was, I was pretty confident after last year that Toronto would find a way to turn it around this season. But after this, um, I'm not so confident. Anymore. And yes, they signed Terrence Boyd, but that's a uh, pretty lacking replacement for someone the, the caliber of, of Giovinco. Um, but, but my one quick shout out, as you know, if you, uh, listen to this podcast for a while or follow me on Twitter, I'm a big Spurs fan. So my shout out is to, to Harry Kane, who got to take in the sights and sounds of the Super Bowl and was hanging out with, uh, Bob Kraft as well as the players. So given he was hanging out with Bob Kraft, he's, you know, 25 years old now. Greg, uh, what year is it going to be when the revolution signed Harry Kane to be their designated player and open their new stadium?
1: Um. What year? Yeah.
0: How How many years do we have to wait for that?
1: I'm gonna say 2027. 20, I think we're a ways out.
0: <laughs> so that makes him well. He, oh, he's still only like 34. To open the point, new right? stadium. Oh, oh
1: wait. Oh, oh. Open. he said. 2032. Jeez. <laughs> There's stadiums involved just add five years. Uh I mean, we we can dream, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Well, before I wrap things up, you want to give out the uh, Twitter handle of yourself and for the uh, podcast?
1: Yeah, you can follow me at GJohnstone12. Uh, You can follow us at Revolution Recap. Uh, It's kind of been a little dormant in recent weeks, uh, but obviously the season's starting up uh, next month. And so we'll be tweeting a lot more with (laughs) a lot of our thoughts uh, that I'm probably going to steal from Sean. (laughs)
0: So. <laughs> and we've uh, you can follow us on facebook at revolution recap as well which has also been dormant but we have been getting some uh, likes lately including a former revolution player so we should take more advantage of that um and you can <laughs> follow me at, at sean l donahue on twitter um thanks again everyone for listening we'll you know, probably be back again at some point this preseason and then back in, in full force when the the season starts up which is not that far away anymore less than a month so getting excited for another season of mls action thanks again everybody